Welcome to Worldwide Waste, a podcast about how digital is killing the planet and what to do about it. Sarah Richards defined the term content design in the early days of Gov.uk, where she led the award-winning content team in the design of the UK government website. For me, Gov.uk is one of the shining lights when it comes to true and genuine quality web design and management. Gov.uk has shown what online government for the people, rather than for the politicians, can be like by being functional, evidence-based, rigorously tested, clear and succinct. Sarah now runs Content Design London, a content design agency. She is a wonderful person and a true digital pioneer. When I first started working in web, however many years ago that I'm not actually going to admit to, it was very exciting, but massively scary for organisations. And do you know what? In some areas, I don't think they've moved from that. It's really exciting in that everybody can publish everything. But it's scary because if you don't publish everything, you might end up with accusations of, you know, trying to hide things and what are you not doing? And there's some like accusations around it. And if you're not 100% digital and you're online all the time, then you're not really a modern business and all of these sorts of things. And actually, it's, it's not even true. None of it's true. It was never true. But we're all still working to the fact that that is true. So, yeah, when the web first came along, there was a mindset and we've all grown and we've learned things during the time, the intervening time. But I think that original mindset, that fight or flight, that original response, I don't think for a lot of an organisation has matured at all. Yeah, I'd agree. (laughs) It's sad and depressing in some ways, you know, when you're dealing with that, but it seems in in many ways to have stayed still, sometimes progress, and then, then would revert backwards with new management or New people coming in or, and sometimes in a, in a panic, it brings out the worst in organizations like a pandemic. They go back to, to bad habits, so to speak. That's exactly it. And that's exactly what we're seeing at the moment. We've seen organizations like we personally, CDL have seen organizations go from user centered design and using all job stories and using the vocabulary people are using and structuring really well for accessibility and usability and search engine optimization and all of those things back to how it was 10 years ago of panic published just get it out just get it out i don't know if you saw but the department of health released 94 updates i think it was in a week or something it was a really short period of time and the thing is is that they didn't do it in a human-centered way of and this is the update and putting things at the top or structuring it in a way so that the head teachers in this instance this is who they were communicating to so that they could get the updates easily they just updated the guidance and then sent it all back out so people had to read again and again and again and again to get anything that had changed. And in this time where everything is so stressy anyway, because we are human, I know that we'd all like to walk around thinking that we behave like economists, but we don't. We are human, we are stressing out, and then the organisations stress out, they go absolutely backwards, they forget everything that they've learned, and they just panic, and they shove it all out, and it doesn't help. And in this instance, 
it's dangerous. I mean, it's properly full on dangerous. People get the wrong information, do the wrong thing, and then they can get very sick over it. Absolutely. And it's a tragedy. What one thing that I've been tracking is symptomatic information for COVID-19. And, you know, pretty early on, evidence began to arise that loss of smell and, and sometimes loss of taste were significant symptoms. And sometimes the only symptoms in pre-symptomatic people, the first symptoms to emerge in the process. So when we consider that you know, understanding symptoms in a, in a pandemic, in an exponential growing type of virus is, is critically important. You know, it was, it was really surprising how slow many organizations were to update their symptoms lists. And that is, that's the difference. You know, we've, we've seen how a week locking down a week early can result in saving 20 or 30,000 lives. Well, if you're not tracking the right symptoms, you're not going to be testing. So this sort of information was, you know, really critical. And I, I tracked it that the first major institution, I think it was the European Union, CDC, put up their new symptom list on the 2nd of April. But the last one that I found, and I'm not going to name because I'm not trying to name and shame, but a major governmental health agencies, it was towards the end of June. So there was a difference between the beginning of April and the end of June for getting updating your symptoms list. Now, that's not a web problem per se. You know, it, is, it wasn't the web team's fault, but the organizations were just not able to cope with new information and actually give a proper update in a timely manner. And that's content that, as you said earlier, can can save lives or, or the wrong content can result in more people getting sick and more people dying. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? Though? I think so much of this was avoidable. And I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into like lengthy things about politics, but from a content perspective only, if you have a strong content strategy, if you have a trusted workflow and governance model, you are in a much better position to get content out quickly and in a less panicky fashion. But if you have a weak content strategy, a weak or long governance and workflow pattern, plus a stack of ego going on, then panic publishing is your default position. You can't do anything but panic publish because you have no foundations to go on. So we, we can run an entire organization off of one bank of user needs. Because we've got all their language, we have their mental models, we have it linked to research, any research that we've got going on. And the whole organization, like the social team, the web team, the offline team, the letters team, everybody runs off of one bank of user needs. It means that you can spin up information really quickly and you can come up with new user needs based on actual previous evidence. It won't be exactly the same. Of course it won't. This pandemic is, is reasonably new to most countries, not every country, but most countries, this kind of um, illness. But you will be starting from a strong foundation. The problem that we're seeing is that organisations don't have a strong enough foundation. They don't have a good enough content strategy that tells them when to publish and when not to, what success is, what value is, and I mean, like not traffic, traffic, vanity metric, don't do it. Other metrics in place. It doesn't have a 
streamlined workflow that is trusted by people. Like we say, if you've got more than five people in your workflow and governance process, then you either don't trust your team or you need to train them because you don't need that many people in there. And you have to remove the vanity. You have to trust the teams and you have to trust your users and your audience. And so I think the organizations, and I'm horrified to say most of this is governments around the world. Governments have not done well on this because they've fallen backwards because they're panicking. They've just wiped away any kind of progress that they were making and they've gone back into default 20 years worth of marketing shove it out shove it out i'm ranting now jerry that's not what i was supposed to be doing at you yeah no well i mean (laughs) i don't think it's ranting in a way in you're talking about what has actually happened unfortunately we'd love it we'd love it to be otherwise but what you see you say content strategy there, but this goes to the essence of organizations themselves because ultimately the new symptom list needs to be signed off at the most senior medical level uh-huh. uh, and then approved by whatever senior medical people. And in some countries or macro organizations, the EU CDC, you know, the, the first evidence of, of the new symptoms began to come out, come out in March. Major studies were happening then, really interesting things that can only kind of happen on the web where I think some institute in London with, with, in cooperation with, with, with others, uh, released an app where you could put in your symptoms. Mm-hmm. And within two or three weeks, they had millions of people putting in symptoms. And this is the tremendous strength of the app, the, the, the web that, you know, very difficult to do this historically and, and, and scale it to millions of people. And they noticed very quickly that, that uh, most of the people were loss of smell as a key symptom. And then other studies, experts in smell, and I think it's a, a mosey or something, I can't remember the technical term, but they were seeing it coming up. So loads of the institutes connected with smell and taste were noticing a huge number of people coming into them talking. So there was loads of evidence building by March that something was happening. There was It wasn't just the old symptoms of cough and tiredness and stuff like that. And the EU CTC responded from my analysis, very quickly, they had information up on their website at 2nd of April that, hey, watch out for this new symptom. But other major governmental organizations were, did not get the new symptoms up until the end of June. You know, that's April, May. That's nearly three months in, into a pandemic. And and that's not content strategy, is it? In I know what you're saying, and I agree. That's the institutes of medicine and in these organizations, you know, this goes, because this stuff goes up to the very top, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And the policies have been really weak around the world. No, I agree with you from that perspective, definitely. But I also think that we could have got the information out a lot faster if we trusted organizations more. And yeah. There was a stronger strategy and and governance inside organizations. I wonder, connected with what you're saying there, like, I wonder, did it get, let's say, what was this, the gap between the top medical experts said, yes, loss of smell is a symptom. I wonder, was there a significant gap between them saying, yes, put that up, 
and it getting up on the website. I wonder, is there are there issues there as well? Do you think there might have been? Might well have been. There is very much a need to not get this wrong, and and we need to not get this wrong. Back to my original point of like people can get this sick. But there is also there are ways of managing this. So instead of just saying this is gospel and truth, they could have said, we believe that these are symptoms. Can you go and track it over here? And if they had a team that was responding fast enough. So I'm actually doing a study. I've got one of those tech rings. And so for the past three months, because it takes my temperature and my heart rate and all that sort of thing the whole time. So for the past three months, I've just answered a question, three questions every day kind of how do I feel and what my temperature is, and then it takes all my readings from this ring. So this research is being done somewhere, and different organisations are spinning up this research. So way back then, when they had an inkling that this was an idea, instead of a statement, why wasn't it a question? And then you go and get more data. I know that I'm making this sound like really simple and that there wouldn't be massive amount of tech at the end of it. There would be. I'm, I'm not belittling that. It's just that I just think there's this reticence to try and this reticence to ask questions because you have to be right all the time. And I'm not saying you don't need to do that, but yeah, you could spin it a bit. You're absolutely right. But let's say take a couple of things connected with that that say might be more in the web team's control. So I've been praising the, the EU CDC and saying they were the first that I noticed that I was tracking. But what was interesting was when I went to search on the CDC website, the EU CDC website for coronavirus symptoms or COVID-19 symptoms, the actual first result was an info sheet from February. You know, so even though they had updated in the, the main section of their site with the latest symptoms, if you actually searched on their site, the first result was an out-of-date info sheet that they had published in February of the symptoms, of the original symptoms, so, so to speak. And how do we deal with that? Like, I mean, how do we make sure that sort of stuff doesn't happen, that that, that old info sheet is taken down or else updated? We don't seem to have those capacities either within within our web teams. Yeah, I think a lot of that falls down to two problems. One is silos. Some teams don't know what other teams are doing and they lose track of it. And two is that they're again they're not running off user needs. So because if you were if you were doing it that way, you would have the need and you would have an expiration date on it. You know, every time we could produce content. When it's produced, we have a, is this going to get deleted? Is it something that we're always going to deal with? So for an example, an an organization will always have like what their phone number is. That's never going to happen. You know, that's never going to go away. But you might have different actions off the back of that need. So it's got a name that somebody needs to check it each year. Or there's a name of somebody's responsibility to update it when that phone number changes, if it ever changes, then a role or a person will alert whoever in the team. So with the infographic, I think there's two things. There's the disconnect, but there's also the publish and be damned model. It's like publish, it's up. That's success for us. Success is getting something up. Now we can forget about it and move on to the next thing, whereas we shouldn't be. We should be looking at the content that we have 
and working out how it fulfills our purpose. And only when we have a new purpose or when we have a new need come in, do we produce anything else. I quite like to see if websites could only have a finite amount of pages, finite amount of content items, finite amount of services, because then it would be like one in one out. And then you could never overpublish. Yeah, wouldn't. That would be a manager once said to me once uh, that, she treated her internet like a nightclub and uh, she was the bouncer. Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Content teams are bouncers. <laughs> yeah. So, but she wasn't very popular. <laughs> no, I can see why. You know, that is, that's the answer, isn't it? You know, that because then I tracked other websites when they updated their content and I found five, six, seven versions of symptoms throughout the sites that were infographics in the middle of reports. How would you do, you've kind of indicated in a way, but let's say you know that symptoms is, is a critical thing and you know that symptoms may change, right? So how do you track the mention or the listing of symptoms that sometimes might be on page 56 of a, a, a doctor's manual? Uh, so, so to speak, or a, a nurse's manual. How do we track that so, so that flags go up that says, oh, well, symptoms are mentioned in these 10 different places on the website. We better update. Now that our uh, symptoms have been updated, we better update those symptoms. Do you have an example of a, an organization that you've worked with that has kind of implemented that sort of stuff or how would you do it? Yeah, so WK and Citizens Advice both do something like that. So they have the numbers. So like if the benefits change each year, then they know where everything is across the sites. And that's been done in my history in and around government in many different ways. It used to be just a spreadsheet with URL and a page title and where the number was. So this is like years ago. It used to be like paragraph four and stuff because that was the only way that we could track it but mm -hmm. you know what it works it worked for you know a finite amount of pages then that works obviously it depends on what cms you have and whether it's structured content that you've got and there are various cms's out there where you can do like search and replace across the whole site so there are technical advantages to that in terms of us finding it that's kind of like christmas on a plate do you know what if everybody structured their content in a way that was human-centered first, it would just be really easy because you could go into Google and just search it or go to the top three sites that you trust. Like if you know that your bit of the site is about symptoms or it covers symptoms, 10 o'clock in the morning, you go in, check EU, CDC, no, nothing's changed, bink, it's like 10 minutes and you're out. But the fact is that's not what happens. We have to go trawling forever because people don't structure it properly. So. Yeah, multitude of ways of doing it, I think. And is that, you know, when maybe the answer is no, you kind of said we reverted back. You've given the answers there, but are you seeing it at least in some? I mean, you, you've mentioned Citizens Advice. They've done really great work over the years and, and of course, Gov.uk. But it's not your experience in this pandemic, is it? Or or. Would you say 10% of the organizations you've dealt with have, have really managed their content well or what? Where have you seen it and not seen it? I think I've not seen it more than I've seen it. I'm kind of sad to say. I think a lot have just gone back into campaign mode, which is not what we need. 
I'm trying to think of really good organizations that haven't haven't California Gov. We work with them. They've done some great stuff. Nope. Do you know what's sticking in my head? The central gov team, GDS team, they've done well. Some of the departments, not so well, actually. And that's what I mean. Like they've got all the wherewithal. Somebody's just come along over the top and just said, no, do it this way. I'm afraid I have no examples for you where people have done it really well. Yeah, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of someone and I can't. You know, this is our career. I, I've been quite you know, depressed by all this in a way. I mean, it's so, this is stuff we've been trying to change for, well, me for 25 years or, you know, metadata and all of this stuff and governance and, you know, but we have to be positive, you know, in, you know, we have to keep the spirits up because you, you kind of see, you know, losing it and, and going back, you know, it's like the alcohol. I often say giving a pub to a, communicator or giving a website to a communicator is like giving a pub to an alcoholic and it's like they went to AA meetings for for 10 years and then there's a crisis and and they got their back drinking again yeah and we can only hope that after the crisis they'll they'll really see oh I shouldn't have done that uh, how do we the next time that I won't fall off the wagon in the process, but it's disheartening when you when you see and, and and you see the impact of misinformation of of the fake drugs and the now with the vaccine coming up, you know we're going to have a massive campaign from misinformation actors, state based, wherever, to undermine confidence in vaccines, and we don't look like we're ready, kind of, to really to deal with these misinformation campaigns because. Our websites are full of misinformation, not deliberately, but because the the symptoms are out of date or, or, or loads of other content as it changes is not being updated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there, there are teams doing amazing things and there are people sitting in teams in every organization who are brilliant and they're just being stopped, really, by the higher echelons who either don't understand quite the impact of over-publishing or leaving stuff or pushing their team so hard and so fast that they can never go back. That's that's the other thing. that There's this thing, particularly at the moment in the industry, of oh, digital's all shiny and it's all glittery and it's all this, that and the other. And it's like, mm-hmm, you need to maintain that once it's up. You need to do something with that. You can't just keep looking at the new shiny thing all the time. We do um, value mapping with organizations. So we work out how much it costs them in terms of team morale and time and uh, tech, all of it. We show them how much it costs for them to produce information. Now, I've been doing this around the world for like years now. In the UK, it usually hits to two to two and a half thousand pounds per piece of information. If you add government or legal, something with a really long governance process, it can top eight to eight and a half thousand as an average. And that's just cash. And what is that? Explain that a little bit more, Sarah. So that's the total cost of creating and managing that piece of information. Is that right? Yeah. And that's flat content, by the way. We're not talking services, transactions, tools, nothing. That is flat content. Just words on a page, maybe something. And, and is that from the, oh, let's write a policy? What is that cost made up of? 
Yeah. So the cost is made up of we'll do the user journey and we will work out kind of what content is necessary, right? And then we'll take that page. Usually it's one single page and we'll track back what the organization had to do to get that page up. So this is some of the kind of funny stories that we've had um, from organizations. One organization had the CEO, bearing in mind this organization had a couple of hundred people in it, had the CEO sign off every blog post, even if it was something really small. And they were quite good at, at working in the open, but the CEO had to sign off every blog post. So we took that process of like somebody thinking it up, them discussing it in a meeting, because that was what used to happen. And we would take how many people were in the meeting and we would take like the middle of their band, their salary band, kind of work out how long they'd spend. So in this instance, it was like they spend about 15 minutes discussing each piece of content in this particular meeting, in this particular example. So we took how many people were in that meeting and we worked out how long that took. Then we worked out how long it took to actually write it, then go through governance and workflow. And that's always the funny one. People say, oh, it takes me 20 minutes. It's like, mm-hmm, track that. I bet it takes you about four hours. So then we actually tracked what it actually takes to get something through. And it's always workflow and governance that costs the most because it goes round the houses and it changes and changes and changes because nobody trusts anybody else and they're rewriting it. And then it's got to go round the houses again And then it goes to somebody for sign-off, final sign-off, final, final, final cyber, and then it gets published. And because content is so painful, nobody ever wants to see it again. So we work out how much that costs in how long that cycle costs. Then we move to what the team's not doing because they're going through that awful cycle every time they want to publish something useful. So often it's down to that the starkest team I have is the team that deal with the press releases. Because what they say is, I want good relationships with journalists. Like pre-pandemic, it would be, I want to go out to tea with them. I want to find out what is important to them. I want to find out like if I get on the phone to them and say, we have a story for you, they're going to trust me that it is for them and it is relevant to them and I can make it useful to them. But they don't have time because they're running all the time and they're putting press releases up on websites that nobody ever looks at because they they actually want something different. And in web teams, sometimes it's just, I want to go backwards. We did some stuff. We did it really quickly. And it was great for the time because it was up and out. Don't let, you know, perfection be enemy of good. All of these cliches come out, but they never get to go back. And it's frustrating. And it sits with those teams. They go into work every day or they used to go into work every day and have that kind of nagging feeling that every time that they do something, they can never go backwards. So we will track all of that as well. Mm. And normally we have, so we have the journey map, we have how much it costs, we have it, how much it's costing the team, we have it, how much is costing the user. So we do risk and damage and detriment, all of those type things. And then we put it together and we shove it up on a wall. And then we normally ask the directors and the board, how do you feel about that? And I can say, hand on heart, there are penny drop moments every time. It's quite stark when you put it out on little pieces of paper. We've got post-it notes everywhere. we got figures, actual monetary values, human values, and risk values. It's quite a stark picture. Absolutely, yeah. The hidden costs of, of creating it, as you, as you say, are usually much greater than 
than people understand them to be. I mean, that's the type of work that's needed. That's really professional approach to it, which unfortunately doesn't happen in 90% of the organizations. But maybe in another 25 years, they will be doing this sort of work, you know, because it is the right work. There's no, the, what, what you've described there is absolutely, truly a professional approach. And then you recognize, wow, and we've got 10,000 pages and, you know, we are, we've got 50,000 multiplied by two and a half thousand or, or 8,000 or whatever, whatever figure that comes out of. That's a significant quantity. And then there's the stuff that comes through that nobody ever looks at that press release or nobody or that content is not, is not used or whatever. And we find that, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't result in value. Yeah, absolutely. Because we also balance it with value and success because those are different. What do you actually want? And are you getting it out of it for the money and time and turnover? You know, if you, if you did a large scale study, your turnover in digital teams, some digital teams right now, one digital team, they will remain nameless, but one government around the world have had a hundred percent turnover in their digital team in the past six months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because it's just painful in there. It's painful. And the, the people are kind of, they're blaming it on agile and stuff, but it's <laughs> not. And the thing is that there are amazing people in there. There's amazing people in there trying to do amazing work. But if you don't set this stuff up, and it's got to be the upper echelons that understand it, I don't know, you're just on a whole cycle of pain. And the users are the ones that are going to uh, suffer, basically. Yeah. And it, it does start at those upper echelons, which we've, we're, we're kind of seeing panic. Have when in the pandemic, you many organizations have panicked. Yep, absolutely. I was talking to um, some organizations, they all wanted to put the symptoms up. I was like, why? You have to then maintain that. If why don't you have the symptoms are over here and link to NHS? NHS will, will be the ones that get to it first, so just link to them. You don't need the traffic, add value where you add exactly. value. Get in the way. You don't need to repeat everything, especially when you've got money and time and all these other things that in the value mapping I was just talking about. That means that you can concentrate on the bits that you really do add value. Tell people what it means to you. The symptoms are over here. This is what you need to do in shops or whatever, whether you need to wear a face mask or whatever. But actually, we're doing this, this and this. There are some cafe, I'm trying to think, I can't think of the names. There are some cafes that are doing some brilliant stuff on Instagram. They're taking pictures and saying, we know that you have to wear face masks and we've put the tables out here and this is our menu and it's all cut down and this is what you will see. And actually, you can make a informed, a good decision on whether you want to go there or not. Yeah. You're also building an accessibility because um, like people with autism, for example, love to see what's going on before they go. Anybody with anxiety, anybody who just wants to feel safe, in fact, you're adding a layer of usability there without even really trying, but just understanding what value you have. Looking at 
the issues of overproduction, like that, that we are producing so much content and data now. And, and obviously not all of the data ends up as content. Some of it is data from Internet of Things and from trackers and all sorts of stuff. But it's it's absolutely exploding. My experience of a lot of in government or otherwise is that somewhere of 80 to 90 percent of their sites they don't need that information. Like they've published, if a typical website has 10,000 pages, they would probably be a much better website with a 1,000 pages. What's your experience in, in the sense of ratios or that over-publishing? Have you any ratios of the quantity of over-publishing that's occurring? Oh, I, I think people over-publish by about 80%. Really, honestly, 80%. Yeah, that would be in the region of what I'd have uh, found. Yeah, that, and it, there's massive waste there, isn't there? Because you know, if, if we say that, then that two and a half thousand of those eighty percenters is waste is is wasted money. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that often it comes from a kernel of a really good idea, but it's like it's on the wrong channel, or it's too big, or it's in the wrong place. And again, this comes from organizations not understanding really enough about their users. We had a, an example of an organization that will remain nameless, health organization, and they wanted a multi-million pound app. In discovery, we found that actually they could do with a, an A4 poster in a doctor's office because they didn't really understand their users. So they were going multi-million pound app or actually an email. Do you know what I mean? That a reception poster and shove it up. Yeah, totally. It's a tragedy. And and you just reminded me of the of the chatbots, you know, of which have been such a disaster in my experience. And because they're not mature enough and and giving out wrong information, you know, either acting like the most stupid person you'd ever meet on earth when you interact with them or else telling you the wrong information in but organizations had to have a chatbot yeah again it's the shiny right it's the glittery shiny thing to have but actually if it's not gonna if it's not gonna do anything it's just adding another layer of frustration and particularly like some of them just go horribly wrong don't they and the tone is wrong one of my guys was working on a chatbot for viagra and at first they made it very friendly and reassuring and research showed that actually people wanted it to be more robotic because they didn't want to talk to a human about it so again it's not even it's not just the substance actually that can go horribly wrong and you end up with huge amounts of frustration you can even just get the tone wrong and often it's not necessary if you structured your site properly, if you did your discoveries properly and you put your information on the channel where the people are, when they want the information, you probably wouldn't need to spend all that money anyway. So we have the answers to this. It's not that we're shouting and saying and then and somebody says, well, what are you going to do about it? What, you know, the processes, the the tracking, the value equation stuff, the governance what is so frustrating is the answers are there. We know we know what is needed to create a quality environment where, you know, the best possible content is delivered to people that helps them make the best decisions they can make. It's just that organizations have, have struggled to, you know, the organizations seem to be broken. If, if, if one of the 
things I've learned is that mo- most organizations are not fit for purpose or they're, they're, you know, certainly in a, in a pandemic, our organizations, many of them have not stood up to the test. Absolutely. And it just shows what a weak foundation that they're all sitting on. And that is going to be wobbled. You know, this is not, this is not the first pandemic that we've had. And I dare say it's not going to be the last. And we really need to shore up those foundations if we are going to be digital era organizations. Yeah. And I think, I think before maybe with, with print, print was a limit of people going crazy. Yeah. We got to do something. We got to do something. I mean, that print actually, you had to print it, you had to distribute it, you had to get it out there. You couldn't literally, the doctor's office would say, stop send, sending us brochures. You know, you've already sent us, you know, 16,000 brochures. Stop. With digital, we can send them 75 updates in a week and, and it doesn't matter. And we can send them another 75 updates next week. And because they're not physically piling up in the office, it seems that in a way, digital is bringing out the worst of us. We just over, over publish. It has really tapped into this deep desire to create stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's it. It's like if you print stuff, you've got your printer's costs and you've got storage costs and you've got postage costs. And it's sort of seeable. Whereas if it's a person's time and it's digital, you can't see it. It's just work. And if everybody gets overworked, then you hire another person or you kind of lump more work onto people and, and, and start blaming them. You never, or my experience is that organizations never go back and say, what is our proposition? What are we actually trying to do here? How are we actually trying to stand out? What is the value that we add that nobody else can? And let's focus on that. Let's make that our thing. Because they don't bother. They just add another person to it. Whereas if you were publishing, you know, if we if we had to write to everybody about the pandemic, guarantee that it would have been a lot more consistent comms than we've had at the moment. Yeah. And we can overcome it. It, it reminds me in a way of how the immune system sometimes deals with this virus and other, and other sort of illnesses and the occasionally the immune system can what, what is it called a cytonic storm or something like that that it, it goes into overload and it starts oh this didn't work and it starts firing something else and then it just it yeah. just kills the body because it floods i think our organizations have become a bit like that their their immune system has gone into overload and they say publish 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 <laughs> you know and we're actually killing the patient with too much content yeah absolutely i mean it just it, it will be interesting when you know everybody you everybody finishes their studies in a year about how this went and I think what will come out of it is the fact that too much publishing is worse than not having enough in some instances I would say like if you if you didn't publish any of the symptoms then yes that would be worse but over publishing means lack of trust lack of trust means that people don't go looking for it and it means over publishing means you can't manage so you can't keep up to date the symptoms. So even though you published a new list of symptoms, people are finding the old list. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then dangerous right there. Let's hope that when it clears, which is probably another 18 to 24 months away, that we will genuinely learn lessons and, uh, you know, that they'll listen to you people like, because you've already got the answers. Is not a lot of the answers are already there as established best practice. But let's be hopeful that we will see uh, that the organizational immune systems are defective and that we need to put things in place for the future so that we as societies and organizations can react better and manage not just pandemics better, because on a smaller scale, this is what we see every day and every week is slight over publishing about everything. So hopefully we will learn some lessons finally of the the right way to do things. Yeah. And, and on a positive note, you know, there are lots of amazing people doing amazing things out there. Totally. And that's the, that's the frustration that you feel that the people in the web teams, it's not there. They know, you know, and they say, I it's just feel so sorry for them. And so such, such a difficult job. And that government agent with a hundred percent turnover in six months, what sort of a nightmare is it? to work in and people get ground down by this because because the web teams know they know you know because they're they're at the coal face so to speak of this issue so it's this is in no way what we've been talking about criticisms of of the web teams it ha- it's happening at a higher level that is the driving of these unfortunate behaviors absolutely the web teams know what they're doing and they care and i think that's even <laughs> kind of worse for them because they do genuinely care about what they're doing and it's the people above them that really need to listen to them. Get out of their way and listen to them. Let them do their jobs. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at jerrymcgovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit thisishcd.com. <laughs>